because I'd like to talk about prayer tonight. Um, I've been being challenged in my own prayer life, and God has, has caused me to really rethink how much I communicate with him verbally from my heart. You know, we can develop within the church and within the body of Christ, I think, some uh, difficult or uh, seriously bad habits concerning prayer. I believe that sometimes prayer is what causes the church to be weaker than it needs to be, that causes an individual to fail more often than they need to fail, where victory isn't something that truly exists in their everyday life. I remember after coming to know Christ as Savior and and really struggling in this area, and I had joined a church, and I had joined a church mainly because of two reasons. First, they had a Christian school for my kids, and secondly, they had a softball team. And to play softball, we had to go, uh, the, the guys who played, or the gals who played, had to go to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. And Wednesday nights there was prayer service. And literally, they would take everybody and split up into smaller groups and everybody pray. And I'm thinking, oh my. And I would choose to remain silent and um, said I had unspoken requests and that I um, just wanted to hear everybody else pray. They were more eloquent than me. And, uh, um, and, and so it was embarrassing. It was challenging. And a good friend by the name of David Wigdon invited Diane and I and our children over to the house for supper one Wednesday night before Wednesday night prayer. And, and we're there for supper. And I realized that time is going and I should be heading off to church or else I won't be able to play the following Saturday. And, uh, and things are getting closer and closer and soon it's past. I'm done. I'm toast. I can't play. You know, and, and David, in all of his wisdom, he was uh, about 30 years my senior. He looked across the table during dessert I mean, they really strung this meal out. <laughs> they were good at that. And David looked at me and he goes, and these are his exact words. Rich, I don't think you know how to pray. Ouch. And he was right. I had no clue. I had no clue to its importance. I had no clue to its vitality. I had no clue how much God yearned to hear my voice. And he went on for the next 15 to 20 minutes to share with me some practical, simple things to apply to my life and my walk with God to start to learn how to pray. 
and I'm so thankful. And yet, now some 30 years later, I'm still battling and wondering how this communion really and this fellowship and this pleading and this zealousness of prayer is so needed for me just to walk everyday life. And, and as I looked at the scriptures, my heart set upon a favorite psalm, and I invite you to turn there, and it's Psalm 86. And, and it's a psalm where, where uh, Spurgeon just declares, you know, after looking at it, we ought to just call it the prayer. It's a psalm where the psalmist relays and refers to himself over 30 times. It's a psalm where he refers to God almost 40 times. It is an intimate communication given to you and I here in Scripture between David and God. And one of the worst experiences of his life. And in those almost 40 references to God, he calls on God by name almost 20 times, calling out to Jehovah and Adonai, Elohim and El, time and time and time again because of his heart yearning in this relationship that we have seen and we could read through the scriptures from the time he is a shepherd boy now to near the end of his life because this is written around the time that Absalom has, has done this treasonous act in trying to usurp his father's authority as king and you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapters 15, 16, 17 and it's a heartbreaking story of a son rising up against his dad, the very king of Israel. And I ponder again why, why people, why we don't seek to talk to God and to communicate with him. You know, often when we talk about it, the, the issue of busyness. We live in a busy life, you know, and, and that's true. You know, back in the 70s and, and going into the 80s, and by 1988, I believe somebody said because of the, uh, you know, the, the fact that the computer uh, generation was jumping into full swing, they said that the work week was going to come down to 30 hours a week. Now, how many of you have a full-time job that's 30 hours a week? Probably nobody. And everything just keeps to be building and building and building and busyness, 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 yeah. And what we neglect in the midst of our busyness is the one who wants to hear from us the most. My, my issues back then were fear and worthiness. I didn't think God really wanted to listen to me. I had an extremist understanding about God and his heart for me. I understood salvation. 
And yet I didn't understand how much he yearned for this personal relationship that he started by giving his son and, and the salvation that I could have in him by faith, that he wanted it to continue on better than my marriage relationship. And some of you are kind of looking at me and, you know, on Wednesday night somebody asked from this pulpit, uh, gee, do you talk to God as much as you talk to your wife? Or if you talk to your wife as much to, as you talk to God, how much communication would you have? There's even the thought that I believe that is going around that he does not care about us enough about my particular situation. And that's a lie from hell. Or the thought that, yeah, he knows it all anyways. Why do I need to talk? Why do I need to lift my heart up to him? He knows it. That's true, but it's also another lie from the pit of hell because he yearns as your heavenly father, my heavenly father, to communicate. The importance of prayer. And I hope by the end of the evening that as we study this little psalm, that we would see that there is an urgency, an urgency for the children of God and the church of God to get on their faces before a holy God and start pouring out their hearts. If you and I yearn to see any kind of a revival in this country, it is only going to come from you and I being on our faces before God and him listening because he always listens and he never turns off his hearing aid or anything. He will never Ever go on vacation. He will always hear. You could all start praying right now out loud. He would hear you. He would understand you. And he wants to hear you. And he wants to answer you. I can't imagine David's heart. How broken as he runs from Jerusalem, being exiled by his own son, being called horrific names by Shemai, and having to live through that at a later age in his life. Let's pray. Father God, we are here in your presence. And we yearn. We yearn for you to meet us in a profound and wonderful way. And I pray that each and every one of us would glean something from the heart of David and your heart for him tonight. that we can apply to our, our prayer lives. 
so that they can become vibrant, real. There is no doubt in my mind that you desire for us to constantly and consistently seek your face throughout everyday life. Not just during the difficulties, not just during the, the joys, but moment by moment throughout each day. Lord, please meet the needs of our heart for your glory tonight. <laughs> Might we truly lay our hearts before your throne. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to see in the beginning of this psalm is David's genuine trust of God. Notice the very first verse. He says, bow down your ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. His trust is the very fact, as I've already declared, that God hears. God yearns to hear. And he declares himself, David declares himself to be in one of those poor and needy situations, difficult circumstances of life, and wanting to, to have this relationship just magnified and become a little more vibrant, pointed because of the circumstance that he presently finds himself in. And he calls out and he goes, Lord, I know you hear, hear me. Verse 2, preserve my life. For I am godly, and you are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. His trust goes, David's trust goes beyond just the fact that he knows that God hears him. He knows that God desires to meet his needs. Now, I think that's, that's something that we all battle with. Uh, we can come to God with a need, and we wonder with what we got, whether or not God met our need. It wasn't what we asked for, it was something else. I, I enjoy some of the funny things and some of their sad funny things that you can hear on the news every now and then. Uh, did you hear where uh, somebody was arrested because they decided to call 911 because Burger King messed up her order? <laughs> she was there. And, and, and I guess she was in the drive-thru and she asked, for, uh, a, uh, she asked for the Texas burger and they gave her a Whopper instead. You know, and, and she, she couldn't give it back. And she wanted, she, I understand wanting your right order, but not being able to get the car to a parking spot and going in and talking to the manager or doing whatever you need to do to get the right order, uh, she decided that it was urgent enough that she needed to call 911. Now, you might be asking for a Texas flamethrower burger or something like that, and God chooses to give you a Whopper. Well, guess what? That's okay. How, how do we receive the things that we get from God? He is here and he says, I know you meet, meet people's needs. Preserve my life for I am holy. You are my God, Savior, servant who trusts in you. David had this passionate trust in God. Look at verse three. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all the day long. 
calling upon God's mercy in the midst of the storm, wanting God to pour out things that David didn't deserve, but yet just wanting to meet with him to make it through this circumstance in life, yearning for God to be glorified in the midst of it. And I want you to know that by the end of this psalm, David never asks to be restored as king of Israel. Now, David already knows that one of his other sons is going to be king. But yet, in the midst of this, in the midst of this turmoil, he never asked for that. He asked for God's mercy in the midst of the circumstance. Some of us walk through horrible circumstances. I know many of you walk through just horrible things. A friend of mine, he had just trusted Christ as Savior, and uh, and I was pastoring a church, and um, you know, and we just had the joy of him and his live-in girlfriend getting married, and both of them had trusted Christ as Savior, and and all of a sudden he comes to me one night and. He's broken, he's crying, and he looks at me and he, and he shares with me of how his wife's 11-year-old daughter was taken advantage of in the worst way that you can think of by a relative and wondering what to do. walking with him through the arrest of the relative and then wondering what am I going to do because I don't want my daughter to have to literally in the trial because the guy said he never did anything to actually have to give testimony. And I said, well, that's what the way it has to work out. And so he and I began fasting and praying as it came up to the time of the, of the jury trial. I could not make it the day of the trial to be with my friend. And in the midst of that, God did something profound. That evening, I got a phone call from a very excited man, and he said, as soon as we walked in, the guy turned to his lawyer and admitted, and everything was settled out of court. He claimed his guilt, and he went. And so his precious daughter did not have to testify. God meets with us in the midst of the trial. God did not have to do that for my friend or for the daughter. What he could have done is given her the strength to to share the truth in front of other people as hard and as challenging that would be. But God chose to meet because that that was my friend's heart's cry. He earnestly did not want her to walk through that. God honored it in his infant faith. And he began to understanding that prayer matters. David is looking up and he says, oh, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all the day long. Maybe you are in that midst of horror. And I just want you to know, trust in God because he cares about you. 
I love Hebrews 4.16, really 4.14 and following. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then have confidence, boldness to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Do you and I really believe that? That he has been tempted in every respect, every circumstance, every possible way that you and I have been? And do we take that to the throne of grace with a confidence that he understands our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, our joy, the wonder of our life, and we rejoice in being able to have a God that hears in the midst of that. David knew that, and he learned it as a, as a young man, as a shepherd, and he understood that God wanted that. How much more you and I today, through the blood of Christ, do we understand the veil has been rent and we have this access to God in a very practical and real way where we can go to him and that he understands. Look at verses four and five because here we see David's brokenness in a wonderful way. Rejoice the soul of your servant for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Have you ever thought God would never forgive you because you did something that was just so vile? And I want you to know <laughs> the shed blood of Christ, it takes away sin. Amen? Every Wednesday, we celebrate communion here. You know, we talk about that, that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean to you and I? Are they just words on a paper, something that, that Paul shared with the church or something that the Lord shared with the disciples? Or is it something that we see that some dynamic change happened in the sacrificial system? Now, we could sit here and debate all day long why God needed a blood sacrifice. And I want you to know, I don't know why. I just know it's his way. And that is what he prescribed. And when he had the uh, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they would cover the sin. But he laid the foundation and brought forth for his own son to give his own blood so that you and I could have our sins cast as far as the east is from the west. We just need to repent and believe. That's the new covenant. It's gone. And we have this vibrant relationship with the holy creator of the universe. The veil is gone. Rent. We can come boldly to his throne. It isn't through a series of priests. It's to him. And David captures that. 
Notice his transparency with God and his repentance. Look at verses 6 and 7. He goes, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call on you and you will answer me. His pain is real. His difficulties are real. And he calls on God. I don't want us to develop the bad habit of only calling on God when we're in trouble rather than having a daily communion with him, a consistent daily communion with him. I was handing out tracts on a city street corner. Well, not on the corner. We were mid-street. And um, just sharing with people as they walked by and if they would take a moment to listen to us, um, you know, we would chat with them a while. Two guys approached, and, and I just handed them and asked them if they would mind reading a track. One guy took it. The other guy just glared at me. And so I went to put it back in my pocket, and I was staring, standing next to a building at the time, and they were on my outside. And the next thing I know, this guy, who is as tall as Pastor Eric, but 100 pounds more, had his forearm against my throat, and I'm up against the, ah. And he goes, do you think I don't believe in God? Do you think I don't pray? And then he said these words. I'm he goes, every time I get in trouble, I pray. And through my voice box, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to answer him. And his buddy says, well, that's dumb. <laughs> I was hoping he'd hit him, not me. But he goes, well, that's like putting God in a jar and putting him up on the shelf and only breaking him out whenever. That isn't what David's doing here. David's just stating a fact. Today, my circumstances stink. And he's being transparent with God and calling upon him. And you and I, we have this covenant that God has brought through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. How much more do you and I have to the ability to have this daily communication with God in a wonderful way, even when the days are great and things go smoothly or the days that are difficult? David. His heart is so true, so plain. He is so honest with God. Notice how David turns right to a heart of joy. Notice how he realizes who he's talking to and he shares with us. Verse 8 and following, Among the gods there are none like you, O Lord. Nor are there any works like your works. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. What profound statements. 
recognizing, man, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to the creator of the universe. There is none like you. You alone are God. In our day and age here, man, everybody wants you to believe that there are so many gods and so many right ways to God's presence. And I want you to know there is but one God. And he has given us eternal life through his son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the most neglected part of a triune Godhead within the body of Christ and within individuals. And I want us to know he is great and glorious, and he alone is God, and he wants to hear your heart, my heart, day in and day out. The question is, are we going to take time to talk to him? I was sharing with a friend, and he was sharing with me how his wife's uh, hours got changed, and sometimes, you know, she gets up at 4.30 in the morning, and my wife gets up at 4.30 in the morning, and I hate those mornings. That's just way too early for this old man. Just kidding. But man, do I need my coffee and multiple mugs full. And if I'm going to take time for coffee, why can't I take time for God? We can never forget that God is God. He is the holy creator of the universe, Lord of lords, King of kings, our heavenly, merciful Abba Father, Savior of our soul, and he cares about us. David, in jubilation, he cries out, man, you are great. You do wondrous things. You alone are God. So he's a man that trusts God. He's a man that's transparent with God. He's a man that praises God. And he's a man that makes a commitment to God. Look at verses 11 and following. Teach me your way, O Lord. I walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, or the grave. Look at those, those verbs in there. I will, I will. David is constantly committed to God's word. And I love his teachable spirit. Now, after writing about 100 Psalms, you would wonder, gosh, hasn't he figured everything out? <laughs> Sometimes I'm fearful that we get to these plateaus and we stop. I'm like, God's word doesn't contain the importance as it did at one time in our life. Being teachable. <laughs> I love that. Uh, numbers of you know that verse 11 is one of my favorite verses because God delivered it to me in a moment of personal crisis myself. And it was the verse 
that God gave me not only to face the issue at hand, but to bring a transformation in my life where I really believed he wanted me to do something different in life. And within a short period of time, I'm off to school <laughs> to be a pastor. I always examine myself before that verse because I, sometimes I fear I've lost my commitment level. Have you ever feared that yourself in your walk with God? Where am I at? A little older, a little more sleep. You know, I loved the years that I could go 20 hours a day. I just can't do that anymore. And somehow I start looking at things and my commitment isn't big enough. It's not good enough. And yet here, I know this truth. I want to be taught by my God through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, making a difference, not only in my walk with God, but in other people's lives. And I'm just wondering... Is that true of the body of Christ? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known unto God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. David ends this beautiful psalm with a great pronouncement of faith. Notice what it says, starting with verse 14 and following. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Excuse me. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is his plea. This is his crying out for God's compassion, wanting his provision to meet the specific need in dealing with the hearts of those who, who have abandoned him, those who have rebelled against him. But most of all, he sees that they've rebelled against God because God had somebody else planned to be the king. And he's pleading for God to work in the circumstance to help and to comfort. In my very first pastorate, I'd been pastoring about seven months, and a young 23-year-old came up to me and 
He just looked at me indignantly and he goes, why haven't you visited Dorothy Little? And I stood there and I looked at him and I said, who's Dorothy Little? I had no clue who he was talking about. And to his credit, this young man of 25 years of age had gone to the nursing home to visit Dorothy Little weekly. And uh, he was wondering why her pastor had never been there. Well, I just never knew she was there. And so I decided to take a trip up, naturally, at the encouragement of this young man. And I get there and I meet uh, Dorothy Little and she's in her 90s and she's in bed and uh, she has to have help to get out of bed to get into a um, wheelchair. Uh, her eyes are so dim uh, that she can't read. And I walk in and I introduce myself and she then tells me, oh, I've been praying for you. Okay. The young man told her about me. And then she lists off all four of my children's name and my wife's name. I'm praying for all of them. I go, wow. Amen. She asked me if I could get her a verse of scripture so she could read it. And so I had to blow up one verse of scripture, her favorite verse, on just one piece of paper so that the letters were big enough so that she could actually read it. She wanted to read God's word. And to be perfectly honest, on my 60-mile trip up to visit her, I'm thinking, oh, man, I've got so many things I should be doing. And I was wondering why I was even going. And I get there and have this wonderful hour and a half with this wonderful lady, and I go home beaming and smiling. And I'm thinking, she really prays. And as I got going regularly, I found out that the whole nursing staff knew Dorothy Little. You know why? She prays. And it didn't matter what floor they worked on in the main hospital or the nursing hospital that was just a wing of a main hospital in a, in a city. And... and Everybody would come to Dorothy knowing this fact. She would pray. Now, you and I could sit back and say, well, she's 90 years old and she's in bed. And she, what else does she have to do? <laughs> but I want you to know one thing she never did. She never complained about her own situation. And she rejoiced in being able to pray for others. And it was a blessing to her to have other people come and share their hurts and pains. And she would lay them at the Savior's feet week in and week out. And I just want to know what's in your prayer closet. What's in mine? Is it something that we have that genuine reveals that we trust God's heart? Do you trust God's heart when you're praying? Will you and I be honest with God and transparent in life daily, no matter what it is? Will you and I 
seek to glorify God as God. He alone is the one that can meet our needs in the midst of everything. Do you and I seek to make a commitment to God and allow our yeas to be yeas? I'm tired of making false promises to God. I want my promises to be consistent like David. I yearn to be continually teachable and in his presence and pliable for his use, realizing that only as he fills me with his spirit in his word, then do I become a tool in the mighty hand of God for his glory. Is your heart, my heart, filled with real hope and praise? Turn to Ephesians 3 quickly. Ephesians chapter 3. And look at verse 14 with me. Paul writing to the folks in Ephesus, notice what he says. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Notice his first prayer request, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the with might through his spirit, where? In the inner man. Second prayer request, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Third request, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and the length and the depth and the height to truly know the love of Christ which passes now. Forth, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Where are you in your prayer closet? Is there such a prayer in your prayer vocabulary such as that for yourself, for the body of Christ? Allison gave us her prayer list. She poured her heart out. Do we really want to make a difference in our community? One place, one event. I believe that there are people here today that need to make a commitment to become people of prayer. You've either set it aside or you've never developed it. I believe that there are people here tonight that need to start by trusting Christ as Savior and start the relationship with Christ and the forgiveness of sins and walk by faith. I believe that there are people here tonight who believe, genuinely believe that maybe they aren't worthy And I want you to know none of us are. 
But through the blood of Christ, we have an avenue to talk to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings who loves us and yearns to meet with us. As chance comes, and as we sing these final songs, I'd ask you to ask yourself, where are you? Where are you? Don't be aloof. Don't hesitate. Let's all develop a more vibrant, fervent life of prayer for his glory. Let's stand and close in prayer. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for David's heart. I thank you how much he trusted you and rejoiced in you, was transparent with you. <laughs> Realize that you are the only one that can meet the deep needs of our hearts and lives. Now, Father, I pray that if there is anyone here tonight who has never started that great journey through the shed blood of Christ, that tonight they would do that that they would meet with one of the prayer partners on the side. I pray that there would be people that would just come forward and get on their faces before God, wanting to renew their prayer relationship. Father, I pray that others would come and that we could pray with them as they lift up their hurts and their burdens. Oh, Father... Meet the needs of our heart tonight as only you can. Through your riches and glory, through Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray, amen.